I'm really encouraged with what God's going to do for many people that are in this room right now because I know what we're going to talk about is going to affect your life, is currently affecting your life, or maybe at some point in the past, as was true for me, and I'll get into this, where it just came through a time of discouragement, which was quite unique in the fact that I'm always seemingly the most encouraged person there is. And so I want to talk to you real practically. I'm going to take you sort of the theology side of it uh, from a passage in the Old Testament. And then I want to talk to you practically about how do you dig out from discouragement. Again, because this is going to affect your life. And for many of you, it's a current struggle for you even now. And we need to talk about it because the Bible addresses it because it affects so many different people. It affects everybody really from time to time, no matter who you are. Nobody, I believe, is immune to it. All of us are going to deal with it from some, at some point in our life. Uh, young people deal with it and old people deal with it. Uh, Christians uh, deal with discouragement. Non-Christians do. Single people do. Married people do. Uh, people who are uh, great, uh, greatly wealthy have uh, huge amounts of wealth, as well as people who are financially under-resourced. Uh, college students deal with it, and people who are vocationally retired. Uh, believe it or not, this challenge that we're going to talk about today uh, really confronted basically every person that you ever read about in the Bible. You can open the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, and you can just start reading, and you can read all the way through the Old Testament and read on into the New Testament, wrap up Revelation chapter 22, come to the final verse, and you look back over that time that you've uh, spent reading the scripture, and you say, so many people in the Bible, so many people that were noble and people that were greatly used and powerfully used by God were people that walked through seasons of discouragement in their lives. So if it happened to some of the greatest people that ever lived, some of the people that are like heroes of the faith in the Bible, then you and I would be foolish to think that it could not somehow affect our own lives. And again, many of you have walked through discouragement. Many of you are struggling with it right now. And you're like, you know what? I had no idea that he was going to be talking about this today, but I'm so glad he is. And so you're leaning forward a little bit more uh, today than maybe you would even typically do. And so we need to talk about it. How do you dig out from times of discouragement. Uh, again, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like, uh, right now, you're just sort of like, uh, Jeff, I don't really need this. In fact, I'm glad you're talking about it today because I got a lot of stuff on my mind that I'd really like to take the next 30 minutes or so and really deal with. So this is not for me. I don't need to hear it. I'm not discouraged, not walking through a time of discouragement. Well, if that's how you feel and you feel like, well, I can just sort of rule this one out. Well, I'll tell you that uh, that was me. That was, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, not easily discouraged. And I'm always wanted to be the person who is encouraging. I'm always up for the most part. And, and you know, it takes a lot to knock me down. And all of that changed. A lot of you know the story when a couple of years ago, uh, not only did the grandbabies move up to Illinois, you know, they were just down the road. Now they're in, you know, across you know, many, many, many hours and states away. But right after that move, which I was quite sad about, uh, you know, to say the least, but it was only two months after that, that my dad at the age of 72 passed away. And I love my dad and he and I were close. And then, you know, uh, it was only a couple of more months after that, that my mom passed away. And so in, in a range uh, for somebody that really rarely gets discouraged, I was dealing with the loss, you know, the kids moving and then dad passing away and mom and all of this happened in about six months. And I'm like, God, what's going on here? You know, and I found myself, I found myself being discouraged. I'm not a crier, but I, I found myself crying and like, what's going on with me? Why am I? I don't cry. You know, guys, I don't cry. Why am I? And, and just so maybe you're just 
just saying, Jeff, I don't really need this, and maybe a lot of other people do in this place today. Here's what I would just say to you. You probably need to hang in here because you may be like I was. I don't need that. But you turn around, and in the near future, you find out that you needed it more than you thought you did. Now, concerning a close relative to discouragement is depression. And of depression, it has been said, it's referred to as the common cold, the common cold of emotional illnesses. And so in the Bible, there are numerous examples of people, again, people who are powerfully used by God, who walk through times of discouragement in their life, and so many that I could go to, but for today's sake, I want to talk to you. I want us to look at a guy by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah is this guy, and I'll just sort of give you the background, sort of the historical narrative uh, regarding his life. He is a guy that is deeply devoted to God. If you uh, were looking for somebody that was serious about his commitment to God, you'd look at Elijah. In fact, if you were living in Elijah's day, you'd be saying like, hey, if there's anybody that is authentic, if there's anybody that is real, if there's anybody that wants to like serve God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, if there's anybody that's like all in for God, Elijah would be that kind of guy. And one of the things that was so disturbing to Elijah is that he was living in a time where even God's people were beginning to migrate somewhat toward the worship of Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal and Asherah. And he's like, what are you thinking? Have you, have you lost your mind? How is it that you and I have the opportunity and the privilege to serve the one true God and you would go after? And again, he's talking to his own people, God's people. And how is it that you would go after these pagan gods, these gods that do not have any existence at all. So he was so fed up with it. He devises with God's help, this very creative contest that is going to take place of a top at the top of a mountain. And he's like, so fed up. He says, all right, we're going to prove who the one true God is. <laughs> you want to see who the true God is? We're going to put the gods of Baal and, and Asherah to the test. And we're going to find out Whose who's God is real God? So what does he do? Elijah invites, listen to this now, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, these pagan gods that even the people of God were leaning toward. And he said, all right, there's going to be a showdown on top of the mountain. He invites them all up. So you've got 850 prophets that have gathered. You've got all the people, you know, because I like sporting events and, you know, walking into stadiums. And you, I don't know the totality of the size of the people, but it was a large group that are gathered on that mountain to see who is really the true God. Is it God? Is is it Jehovah? Is it Yahweh? Or is it Baal? Is it Asherah? And so Elijah says, all right, here's what's going to happen. You guys can even go first. And so they set up the sacrifice, and here's how it's going to play out. They set up the sacrifice. You know, the wood's there, stone's there. The sacrifice is on top of it. And uh, Elijah's like, you know what? You're so confident that your God is a real God, that Baal is true, that Baal is answering your prayers, that Asherah is meeting your needs. I'll let you go first. And whichever God, when we call upon our God, answers with fire from heaven, we're all going to know that that's the real God. That's the true God. That's the guy that is really deserving to be worshiped. And that's, that's the thinking going on. And so Elijah's like, deal. And they're like, deal. Sounds good to me. And so he says, you go first. And so these prophets of Baal and Asherah, again, 850 of them start just praying out, crying out. They, they want their God to answer with fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice that has been positioned on this altar. And they're, they're like crying out and they're praying and they're doing everything they can. By the 
the way to get the attention of a God that does not even exist. And after a little while of this, I love it what Elijah does. He starts doing a little bit of trash talking. He starts mocking them and he's like, oh, really? Uh, you know, the sacrifice is there. I, you know, where's your God? You know, you know is, is your God asleep? You know, is he not hearing you? Is he gone on vacation? You know, has he gone to the bathroom? Is he out? You know, what's up? You know, is he so busy that he cannot even answer? And then he just keeps taunting them and they ratchet it up. I mean, they're like, you know, our God is real and he's got to answer. And, and so they keep and they start getting loud and they stay, start dancing. You read the scriptures. They start dancing before their God and they're shouting. They're raising their voices even louder. It becomes so extreme that they take their swords and spears and start cutting themselves trying to do anything that they can to gain the attention of their God, crying, dancing, calling, praying, doing everything they know to do. Silence, utter silence, no answer. Now, you and I know there's no answer because there was no existence of God. And, and Elijah, and you've got to see this now, Elijah wanted the people of God primarily, but everybody to see who the real God was. So he said, all right, boys, take a seat. Take a seat. You had your chance, and he's like, God, you know, if there's ever a time that you've ever wanted to display your power, if you've ever wanted people to know who the real God is, who the true God, who the God is that ought to be worshipped, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm believing that you're going to answer with fire from heaven, and you're going to consume the sacrifice. I want you to look at the screen what happens right after he calls on God. This is amazing to me. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. And it didn't stop there. Consumed the wood, even the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water that was in the trench. Because once, once Elijah had the prophets of Baal and Asherah set down, he said, you know what? I'm going to prove, uh, you know, this, who's going to answer with fire from heaven. So he takes water and he just douses the sacrifice and he just pours is it? You know, it's going to burn up. Hey, I'm going to make it even tougher. And so he's so believing that God's going to intervene and he just pours it all on and he calls on God and God answers, consumes the sacrifice, burns up all. And it says that when that happened, it's like, man, this is like a Super Bowl win for God. The people lay on the ground face down. And it says in the scriptures that they rep repeatedly cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It's like Elijah is saying, man, this is how I wanted to see it play out today. And God has answered with power. He has demonstrated that his dominion is over the whole earth. There's nothing he can't do. And he has consumed the sacrifice. Now the people see who the one true God is. He sort of rounds up all the prophets. Whole another story. Uh, I won't have the time to get into rounds up all the prophets. He has them killed. He has them, you know, like exterminated. And he's like, we're done with this. And so you would think, I mean, you would think here's a guy that would never be prone to discouragement. I mean, you think about it in your own life, something like that. You're like, God, I'm praying. You know, I don't know how your prayer life goes, but I'm never like praying God answered in fire from heaven, you know, like burned up something. I mean, and you'd say, wow. I mean, the way that played out, you would say if there's anybody that would never be prone to even not just a day, not even half a day or a few hours of discouragement. I mean, after something, visible demonstration of power from God, you know, as Elijah called, he's, he'll never, this is a guy, a lot of people might, but not Elijah. He will never, ever get discouraged. Now, we know that it should. 
lead to a huge celebration filled with great joy and encouragement. But what happens next is, is really shocking in some ways. And, and then again, it's not when we think about our own humanness. And Elijah was certainly a human. He wasn't God. Elijah, right after this, right after this, on the heels of this, not, I mean, hardly any time has elapsed, and he encounters a serious bout with discouragement. And it just brings up something that I need to step aside from the story for just a moment and interject because I know it's so true. And I know that, that mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you need to be prepared for this. I need to be prepared for this. Have you ever noticed this, that sometimes discouragement moves in after some of the greatest moments of your life? You, I mean, discourage, I mean, like you've just had something remarkable happen in your life. It's like something spiritually, it's like you have a breakthrough or you're feeling closer to God than you ever have before or something happens, that job promotion that you've always wanted, you know, finally gets it and it's even better than you thought it would be. Uh, you know, that, that, that girl, guy that you've been badgering, you know, to go out with you, like just like, oh, I really, and you know, sort of pester and I want you to go out. And now she's finally said yes. And you're like, how in the world could a girl like that be going out with a guy like me? But she said yes. We're going out on a date and, you know, you're all excited about it. And, or maybe you have a business and there's this deal that's been made. There's this sort of uh, amazing thing that has happened in your company. Uh, you secure a deal that it looks like it's going to impact positively the future of your company for a long, long time. But it's in moments like this when you're feeling like discouragement is nowhere to be found, nowhere on the radar. It's precisely when sometimes discouragement hits like an incoming missile left undetected. It's like, but things was going so well in my life. I mean, look at how things were going at work. Things were going so good at work. Things were going so good in my relationships. Things were going so well financially. Finally got some margin in my life. Things are going well. My health is good. You know, things are exciting. I've got an outlook. My retirement fund is growing. I can see a point where I'm going to be able to retire and live comfortably. And, and you're looking at all these things and you're so motivated, so encouraged. And then out of nowhere, it's like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Such is the case with Elijah. It's exactly what he experiences. Shortly after God shows up on the mountaintop, causing it to become visibly evident that he was the one and only God, Elijah, he finds himself emotionally speaking, he's on the mountaintop as well. But then something happens. And again, you know, um, in, this, in this story, how it's all playing out, you know, sort of frame by frame, Picture by picture in Elijah's life, it goes from this powerful encounter on top of this mountain to something that happens next that just leaves him reeling. You see, in, in that region at that time was a very, very wicked king. And some of you know this king and who was in power at that time. It's a guy by the name of Ahab. And Ahab was a very, very wicked king. But what added to the problematic nature of this is that Ahab had a wife that was even more evil than he was. So he comes home from this encounter that's happened on the mountain, and he's like, hey, you're not going to believe because obviously she doesn't go. Ahab comes home, and he's like, uh, you know, you're not going to believe what happened today. You know, I told you I was headed up to the mountain and wanted to see this, and Elijah, that crazy prophet, and, you know, our prophets, you know, because they, you know, they were prone to worship Baal and Asherah, and it was like their guys. And so, you know, Elijah gets them up, and he calls on God, and, you know, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, our guys, you know, they're calling, nothing's happening. And, and then God, when I 
highlight. And, you know, fire consumes people falling on their faces. That's the one true God. Elijah has all of our guys round up, has them killed. He's going to extinguish, you know, uh, idolatry from the land. And so the more that Ahab is talking to the wife, his wife, the matter that she gets, the angry that she gets. In fact, by the time he gets to the end of how everything played out, she's like fist pounding mad of everything that has happened. And with that, I want us to pick up what happens next. Look on the screen what happens at this next moment. So Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods God's meaning Bel and Asherah, because she's like, I don't care what happened. I still believe in Bel and Asherah. I'm still going to worship Bel and Asherah. May the gods deal with me. May they punish me. Bid ever so severely, Elijah, if by this time, this same time tomorrow, 24 hours from now, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Who's she talking about like that of one of them? The prophets that he's had rounded up and killed. In, in other words, Elijah, hey, buddy, you, you better, you know, you better get matters straight 24 hours from now. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your life. Things are about to go really bad for you. Now, you would have thought, here's what you would have thought. I mean, here's Elijah. How many of you, you're still with me in this story? You're with me? Wave at me like this so I know you're here. So Elijah prepared the sacrifice, watched the prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850 of them, call, dance, chant, cut themselves, do all these things, no answer, no answer. He calls, and it doesn't, you know, like take all day. It's like immediately God answers, boom. And you would have thought that with all that happening, that Elijah would say, oh, really? Uh, you know, Jezebel has a message from me, for me? Hey, messenger, I want you to take a message back to her from me, and I want you to tell her how powerful, you know, fill in the blank, and, you know, that he'd have been like, hey, I've just seen God show up in power. I'm not going to let anybody push me around, especially Jezebel. You would have thought that's what he would have done. That is not what he did. I want you to see what he did. You're going to be shocked by this. When Elijah heard this, he was afraid and ran for his life. I mean, uh, this woman sends a message to him, and he takes off running, scared to death. Can you believe this? Now, I, I, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're not going to sucker me into saying something here that I'm too smart to say. Uh, I'm just telling you. But, I mean, he trembles. I mean, she obviously has such a reputation for meanness or whatever it is that he's like, Hey, dude, I'm not hanging around here. I'm out of here. I don't care what happened on the mountain. He's afraid, and he runs. And we're like, why? He goes from this mountaintop emotional experience to a guy that is afraid and discouraged. And on the run, he believes for his very own life. Which leads me to say it is always wise to expect and to be prepared for a tidal wave of discouragement to slam into your life or my life, but especially after something wonderful may have happened in our life. And you say, well, how can that be? And I'll tell you how it can be. I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan hates you. The devil hates you. He's going to try to oppose you on every side. And the reason why he hates you, let me tell you why he hates you. He hates you because he hates God. And because he knows that you belong to God, by virtue of that, 
he hates you. He's going to oppose you at every turn. If you're like, hey, if you're like really encouraged, if you're like, God, yay, God, yay, God, you know, look at what is happening at work. Look at what's going on in my business. Look at our profits margin. Look at my relationships. Look at how things are going in my life. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm encouraged. Things are going great. Never been better. And it's like the evil one says, you know what? I hate you so much. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to sow such discouragement and depression into your life. You think you're up. I'm about to bring you down. And many times this happens, listen, friends, on the heels of something remarkable that maybe has just occurred in your life. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? Raise your hand and just say, yep, 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 that's, that's right. Now, discouragement also moves in because, and I, I need to touch on this, discouragement also moves in because of our feelings oftentimes rather than what the facts actually are. And I need to explain that. Let me say it again. You know, discouragement, we need to be prepared for it anytime so that we're not sideswiped by it, but especially after some things are going like really like a series of wins or successes in our life, we need to be prepared for it because the enemy wants to pull the rug out from under us. But what we also need to consider is a lot of times it's not the evil one. It's not the devil at all. It is what is going on in our own thinking and our own emotions. And, and I don't know if anybody's ever told you this or not. And so if they have it, I want to tell you because, and you may not believe me, but I'm just, you got to trust me on this. Your feelings and your emotions will lie to you with great regularity. They just will. Well, I feel something, Jeff. Therefore, it's got to be accurate. No, just because you feel it doesn't mean it's real. What you feel may not be real at all. And your emotions may lie to you all of the time. And so you may think, well, you know what? Uh, Here are what my feelings are, and so my feelings may be accurate. So often, you and I underestimate, really, and I want to touch on this because it comes into play here, we underestimate the power and the influence of how we think. Because you know this, and I know this, you and I can either think constructively, or we can think destructively. And our own emotions flow out of the way that we think. And so it's very imperative, it's very important that you understand this about yourself. How you think will determine how you feel, and you just sort of start framing, uh, you know, your own, even your own existence and ideas of who you are around that. And more practically, you know, uh, this is how it often goes. Uh, A person says something like this, and again, I told you I wanted to get practical. We're looking sort of at the theological side and interchanging sort of the practical side, Elijah's story and his encounter, our own experiences. And and a lot of times uh, a person uh, has this kind of thinking, well, I'm I'm just not smart enough or talented or gifted enough. And uh, I feel that way about myself, you may say. And, and you know what, friends? If, if that is the attitude, if that is how you think about yourself, I'm, I'm not smart, I'm not talented, I'm not gifted, then you think that way long enough. And it may not be a fact at all. It may be your feelings. It may be how you feel about yourself. It may be your, your emotion shouting. But you keep saying that uh, long enough. I'm not smart. I'm not talented. I'm not gifting, gifted. You will talk yourself into not being smart, not being talented and not being gifted. You may be intelligent. You may be so skilled. God maybe has given you some incredible gifts, but you can't see it because of the way you feel. Or you say, well, you know what? Nobody really likes me. I feel that way. Nobody really likes me, and so that must be a fact. No, just because you feel that way doesn't mean it's factual at all. You maybe have had, you know, like a relationship 
uh, go bad with a friend or maybe a friend stabbed you in the back or somebody that you thought you could really trust and, and they turned on you. Maybe they, to maybe uh, make it even worse, they not only turned on you, they sided with somebody that you already knew was against you. And so it's like, wow, you know, they don't like me and I know they don't like me and nobody likes me and you just start developing that mindset. And after a while, because you're like, hey, you know, nobody likes me and I don't have any friends and you just sort of start giving off sort of that emotion and sort of that feeling, that attitude, then after a while, you know what? You convince yourself into becoming something that you actually are not. And because you're like, nobody likes me, I don't have any friends, never going to have any friends, you just sort of put off that attitude. It's like, hey, wow, nobody wants to be a part of that. Or I'll never accomplish anything significant with my life. And you say, well, you know, my parents were not that successful and their parents weren't that successful. And, you know, I look around me and I see successful people, but I could never do anything like that. I, I could never be successful in my business, my career, my ministry. Well, I, I, could never, I could never do anything like that. And you know what you do? You talk, listen now, I'm trying to help. You talk yourself out of being successful in whatever God has asked you to do in your life vocationally. And you just say, well, I can never do that. And, and the opposite of that may actually be true, but you don't believe it, and it's the way that you feel, and because it's the way you feel, it must be a fact. And I run into this all the time. I've had these conversations as a pastor so many times before, and it typically goes, and I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like this. I will never find Mr. Right. I will never find Mrs. Right. It's like there are 6 billion people out there in the world, but there's not a one of them that is for me. And, and then it's oftentimes followed up by this. Why do I keep meeting up with all the wrong people? I'm never going to find. And, you know, after a while, you just convince yourself in that. I'm, I'm never going to find Mr. Right, Mrs. Right. I'm never going to have a significant relationship. And after a while, because you feel that way, you just think that's a fact. That's the way it is now. It's the way it's always going to be. Or there's just no way that God can use somebody like me. God could use this person and that person, but God couldn't use me. And again, you feel that way. It's your emotions talking, and so you interpret that as being fact. Now, why do I even mention that? Because this is exactly what is going on with Elijah. And I'll just give you two really quick examples because I want to keep moving. He feels one way, but the facts actually are stacked in a different direction. I'll give you two examples. He feels like, all right, he feels like Jezebel is going to kill him. Now, listen, she's a mean woman. That's all I'm going to say about that. She's a mean woman, and she would like, listen, she would like for Elijah to be a dead man. And she would like, uh, she would like to, you know, just probably, you know, if she had her way. Uh, and that's how he feels. Uh, you know, Jezebel is going to gonna kill me. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing when you think about that he called upon a God that was so powerful that he would answer with fire from heaven, but he couldn't trust the same God to protect him from this one woman. And he's like, she, I know it's a fact she's gonna kill me. But you know, one thing that sort of comes into the midst here as well is, you know what? I'm not convinced that she really was. I mean, she wanted him to be dead. I have, but really if she wanted him to be dead, why would she have sent a messenger and not a hitman? She could have sent a hitman just as easy as she sent a messenger. I'll tell you another thing that is even more pronounced than this. There's a way that he feels, but it's, it's completely not factual at all. This is what he feels. He feels it so deeply that this is what he says. He said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Boo-hoo-hoo. -hoo. I'm the only prophet that is left. 
And, uh, you know, of all the Lord's prophets, I'm the only one that is left. In other words, this is what he's saying. I'm alone. Everybody is against me. So you know how, how convinced he is that this is factual? He says that same thing, and you'll see it in a moment. He says it three different times in two chapters. I am the Lord. I, I'm the only one left of the Lord's prophets. But do you know what was actually true? That Here's the facts. There were actually other Actually, at that time, 700 other prophets in Israel. Not seven, not 70, 700. But he's over here saying, I am the only one left. That's how he felt, but it wasn't a fact. I want you to take a look on the screen of what John Ortberg has written. He said, we all hear voices. We all do. Some of them are distorted and destructive some of them are healthy and strong. The ones I listen to are the ones that are going to shape my life. So listen, you can say, and I hope you won't, I hope you won't. Well, I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm not smart. I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. I'm never going to be able to do anything successful in my life. I'm never going to be able to be used by God. I'm never going to meet the right person. I'm never going to have the right relationships. Never going to achieve anything. And you just keep telling yourself, guess what? You will. You will fulfill your own prophecy concerning your own life. You with me on that? Wave at me if you believe I'm telling you the truth now. You will find a way to talk yourself out of what God actually <laughs> wants to do and is planning to do in your life. I mentioned I wanted to be practical with this, and so I want to do it in our remaining time. Now, I want to preface what I am about to say by saying I realize um, that digging out from discouragement is a lot more complicated than how I'm going to make it sound in just a moment. Because if I don't say that, you're going to, I'm going to mention a couple of things real practically that I think could be helpful for a lot of people. And you're going to think I am simplifying how oftentimes it is to dig out from discouragement. So I just want you to know ahead of time, it's not always easy to dig out from discouragement. E even worse, if it's like at a whole nother dimension uh, than that, it's like even more. So I'm not, I'm saying all that to say, I am not trying to simplify how difficult at times, not always, but at times it can be to dig out from discouragement. But I do think that there's a couple of things that we can learn from this story that will help us. I want to share them with you before we're done. And uh, I want to talk about just simply, quickly, how we can dig out from discouragement. I'll mention two things. Often, the digging out starts when we start finding moments of rest and solitude with God. You see, for some of you, not everybody, not everybody, but for some of you, I'm talking to some of you, one of the most spiritually benefiting things that you could do is to alter your schedule and to start getting some much needed rest. I love what I do. I love it. I, I could stay busy at it all the time. I could just do it day after day, hour after hour. And I was just reading them on devotions uh, again recently and being reminded. It said on six days the Lord did his work, and then on the seventh day he rested. And I'm like, you know, I just remind myself, I already know the truth, but I'm almost like, hey, uh, God, I think you've got a message in there for me. It's like, you know, God, you, you weren't tired. You could have worked a 24-hour shift, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year for the rest of eternity, and you never get tired. You didn't take a, a day of rest because you needed rest. You took a day of rest as an example for us. And can I just tell you spiritually what some of you could do? Please hear me on this. I'm so serious when I say one of the things that you could do to start digging out from discouragement is to alter your schedule because your schedule, the way it is right now, is not sustainable. It's not. 
You can't keep keeping the pace. I mean, any of us can do anything for a while. I look back at a time when I was young in school and working, and, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family, so what I had, I had to just keep working and working and putting it together and going to school. And I can remember going to school from about 7 in the morning to about 3 in the afternoon and having just enough time to get to a job that started at 4, and I worked that midnight. So every day, uh, 7 a.m. to midnight, that was my life, every day, five days a week. And church on Sunday, and that that, and I I could do that for a season, and I knew I could do it for a season, and I was willing to do that for a season because I knew that that would not be the totality of my schedule forever. So you could do it for a while, but some of you, listen, some of you have a schedule that is not sustainable, and and in order for you to start digging out from some of the discouragement, you're going to have to change that up a little bit. I don't know if you've realized this yet or not, but I have certainly recognized that when I am physically tired or mentally depleted or drained, I've found that I'm much more prone to discouragement. Does that make sense? When I'm like just so physically wiped out or mentally drained and I've just, you know, I'm not finding any margin of time in my life. I just keep going, going, going. When I do that, I find that I'm more easily discouraged. I find that in addition to that, I'm not just more easily discouraged. I'm more easily frustrated. I feel more defenseless in matters of like temptation. My attitude, which is usually very positive, begins to get a little sharp and edgy. So... You know, there's so much value in finding that, that rest and those solitude moments with God. And so for some of you, I'm not kidding when I say this, one of the best things that you could do today, right after this service, right after lunch, some of you, some of the best things you could do is go home and take a nap. Go take a nap. And some of you, some of you are saying to your wife, you heard the pastor? I know you had a list for me. He said, I need a nap. Well, you know what? You've been so grouchy lately. She may be glad you're taking a nap. But you got to have rest. And, you, and, and let, me just, let me just read this to you. It's not on the screen. It said, then Elijah walked for a whole day into the desert. Think about that. He walked in the direction of the desert. He sat down there in the bush and asked to die. He says to God, I've had enough. Lord, he prayed, let me die. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree. Guess what he did? He went to sleep. He took a nap. Suddenly, an angel came to him and touched him. Get up, Elijah, and eat, the angel said. Elijah saw near his head a loaf of bread, baked over coals, coals and a jar of water, so he ate and drank. And then he went back to sleep. Later, the Lord's angel came to him a second time. Angel touched him again and said, get up and eat. If you don't, the journey will be too hard for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank. The food made him strong enough to walk for 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And it's like God is saying, you know what you need? You need to get replenished. It's like, now, now this is more of a modern translation, all right? So I'm taking some liberties here. It's like God saying, you are so discouraged. You're so worn out. You're so stressed out over all that's going on. Even after I answered with fire from heaven, you know what you need to do, Elijah? You need, you need a nap, modern tra- and you need some Chick-fil-A. That'll help you to get back on your feet. That's what you need. You need some sleep. You need, you need some rest. You need some solitude with God. You see, that is, that is what is so important for all of us. Solitude helps us to become reconnected to God. I... I I do at times become discouraged, but I'm not easily discouraged 
because I've learned the value of, of finding a quiet place with God, a time of solitude. I, I like to get up early. I haven't always got up early. You know, when I was younger, I'm like, get up early. Why, for crying out loud? But the older I get, the more I like getting up early. So every morning, I'm up about 5, sometimes 4.45, sometimes 5.15, and I like to attack the day, and I'm going to get up, and I'm excited about what is ahead of me. And I, I may work out in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll just go ahead and work out in the morning, sort of get that out of the way. But before my day gets really cranky, you know what I know? This is what works for me. I know, first of all, I, I need, if I'm going to get up and attack my day, I can't be staying up to ridiculous hours, going on minimal sleep and just saying, hey, I'm just going to feel like majorly encouraged, get a lot of calm. No, I can't do that. So I've learned the value of saying, you know what? There comes a time, shut it down, get some rest, get replenished. God wants to use you tomorrow. And then before my day gets really cranky and saying, God, here's what I need. I need time with you. See, some of the best things that could happen for you to help you to dig out of discouragement is to alter your schedule, start getting a little rest, having some quiet moments with God. You say, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you, and I'll show you an example. Guys are going to show you something on the screen that I'm going to wrap up. All right, here it is. It said that Elijah went into a cave to spend the night. Suddenly, the Lord spoke to him. So God's speaking, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing in the cave? He answered, Lord God Almighty, I think he says this next part with a little bit of attitude. This is just what I'm thinking. Maybe, maybe not, but this is what I think. He had a little attitude. He said, I have always served you, you alone, nobody but you, not Bell, not Asherah. I've always, and maybe he's pouting a little bit about his discouragement, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed all your prophets. I am the only one left. There he is, one of those examples. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And that's where I'm at. That's why. So God has a different plan. And so God says, listen, Elijah, go out and stand before me on top of the mountain. Go out. I'm taking you back to another mountain. Go up on top of this mountain. And the Lord said to him, then the Lord passed by and sent a furious, what? What did God send? A furious wind that split the hill. So powerful, split the hill, shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. The wind stopped blowing. And then there was what? What came next? Not wind, but an earthquake, massive earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, and he's thinking, surely God is in the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I want you to look at this last part, and then we're going to pray. And after the fire, which was after the earthquake, which was after the wind, there was the what? The soft whisper of God. The soft whisper of God. See, one of the reasons why you may be discouraged right now, you're not slowing down long enough to hear the soft whisper of God. Your life is so busy. It's like, I don't have to, I don't, you know, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not a preacher. I've got a real job. I got to get up and go to work. So do I. Work a lot of hours. Glad I do. But I've got to have that moment every day before my day gets cranking to hear that soft whisper from God. And so do you. We're going to end the service a little different today. We're going to end it with a song to just be reminded how great is the love of God. But before we sing that song, it's going to be the last thing we're going to do this morning. I'll walk up right after the song, mention something really quick, and then we'll be out of here. But would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? And if you're just saying, you know what, Jeff, this, this is a message from God from me today because I'm walking through some discouragement. I'm walking through a challenge. I know the evil one wants to knock me down. I've had some good things going on in my life. I've had some positive things going on in my life. 
but man, I'm just, I'm just going through some discouragement, and I just, I just need God to remind me. And Jeff, I'm encouraging the fact that if He could use even a knucklehead like you to just bring this message today, that it's God's word to me to say, "Hey, I know what you're going through. I hear, I see, I know, and I want to help you." And if you're going through a time of discouragement while nobody's looking around, would you just lift up your hand real quick, right ever? Right there where you're at. Lift it up real high, real quick, and I want to pray for you right where you're at. Lift it up real high, real quick. All right, lot, 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 lot of hands. All right, put them down. Father, you know what your people need. I know that you led me. I'm not smart enough to have put this together on my own. You led me to say today what you wanted to say because you love your people. And you want to help your people. And you've got good plans for our life. And you don't want us to be weighed down with discouragement, depression. You want us to dig out. And God, I know that you'll always do your part. Help us to do our part, God. Help us to just really, for some people, it means they're going to have to change some things. The pace of life, their schedule, it's not sustainable. For some people, they just get so busy. And it's like, I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I don't have time for God. I've got time for this and this and this. But I don't hear the quiet whisper of God anymore. And God, I just pray. They'll put themselves in a place to hear from you because you lift us out of our discouragement. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you want to give us everything we need. Help these, your people, with your help to dig out of that hole of discouragement, depression that they may be in. And we just pray it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, everybody? What a great way to end this service today. I'll come right back up at the end, so I don't want anybody to leave. I want to mention something at the end. But I want us to just sing together and worship together and really focus on these words. And you're going to be reminded of how much that God really loves you.
No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on, do you believe that? There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. You know, God loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, God says, I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to bring you out of this. And you've got to know it. And you've got to believe it. God will do his part, but you've got to do yours and know that God is on your side and God wants to help you. Hey, uh, I want to mention, because I'm so excited about a new series we're starting next week. And I think it's going to be so helpful to so many of you. And uh, I want to encourage you not only to be here for week number one, because it's going to set the tone, but I want you to bring somebody with you. You know, a lot of people, and we're going to learn from the Bible, like the smartest guy, wealthiest guy who ever lived, but he just started running down all these paths. He's like, you know what? Chase that path, went that path, went that route, and I just couldn't find satisfaction. And he's just empty and unfulfilled. And he just says, he helps us really. He says, you don't have to waste a lot of time doing this. Here's the path. And so we're going to learn together, finding satisfaction. And uh, it's going to be a great series. I hope you'll be here. Bring somebody with you. I love you. I hope you have an awesome week. I'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.